What's up, Military Millionaires? Today's episode is inspiring. I don't really know if there's a word awesome enough to explain this. Aaron Hale is a EOD soldier who, uh, he, you know, had an accident or a blast in Afghanistan. He's blind. He's deaf. He's an entrepreneur. He's a real estate investor. He's a speaker. He's super, super motivating and inspiring. And his story is just insane. And I mean, it is just mind-boggling what this gentleman has been able to accomplish and continues to accomplish. And holy crap, there's no way I could keep up with him on a run. Very, very, very impressed and just a fun interview to have. So much value in this episode. Definitely check it out all the way through. If this is your first time listening, thanks for joining the community. If not, show notes are found at frommilitarytomillionaire.com slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hey guys, I wanted to do something a little different for this episode's sponsor. Instead of having a sponsor, I wanted to talk for just a moment about the War Room Real Estate Mastermind Group. And if you haven't heard about it yet, the War Room is a mastermind group that myself and Stuart Grazier, my partner, very successful real estate investor, entrepreneur, and uh, in the Navy, we started this with the intent of bringing military real estate investors and entrepreneurs together into one place where we could mastermind and grow and grow and grow together. And it has just turned out awesome. In the first month, we have almost tripled the original signups. We have people who've done one deal all the way up to people who own 900 units. We have active duty, reservists, veterans, anybody and everybody with military experience is welcome. We have guest speakers every month. We have group talks every month. We have a private Facebook group. We have weekly calls with your small group every week with myself or Stuart jumping in as well. And the whole mastermind is just full of people who are bringing value to the community and to you. So if that sounds like something that you're interested in, if you want to help help with your goals and help with accountability and help with problem solving the issues you're facing, definitely let me know. Shoot an email to wrmastermind at gmail.com. Once again, that's whiskey romeo mastermind at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Dave with From Military to Millionaire, and I am here with Aaron Hale, who has spent time as a chef in the Navy, EOD in the Army, and now he is a real estate investor and the business owner of Extraordinary Delights, which we will talk about throughout this podcast. But Aaron has an incredible, incredible story, and this is going to be a lot of fun to unpack. So Aaron, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Absolutely. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, uh, your story? Well, like you said, I uh, started off in the Navy in uh, 1999. Uh, after, you know, a, a dabbling in college, I decided uh, I needed to find a little more direction. Um, and I gained my freshman 50. <laughs> and it just, uh, you know, we, we didn't take. You know? So it was kind of a mutual thing. I wasn't ready for college and college didn't really want me back. So um, I joined the Navy. Uh, I decided at the time I wanted to be a chef. Uh, so I joined as a cook in the Navy and let them, you know, give me some OJT while I earned back some tuition money with the GI Bill. I got stationed in, in uh, Naples, Italy. And, and I was, you know, the first two years was, I was actually shore duty and working in the barracks, which is a bit of a disappointment, but <clears throat> it gave me a chance to, uh, talk to Italians, immerse myself in the culture, plenty of time to tour around uh, Europe and really, you know, uh, enjoy being a service member overseas. Uh, after my first uh, first rotation in, uh, in Naples, I was PCS'd to uh, the commander of the Sixth Fleet, you know, three-star admiral uh, stationed in Gaeta, Italy, just 45 minutes away. So I spent four years in Italy learning the, the language and the customs and all that. And uh, got to cook for dignitaries, royalty, and generally, you know, float around the Mediterranean and visit everywhere I could. It was awesome. But when, you know, both wars were in full swing, it was, uh, there was some kind of, it was, it was a calling. I wanted to do something a little more direct for the, the effort. By that time, I'd, I'd, 
gotten discipline, I've gotten direction, and I've gotten a sense of duty. And now, not just, I mean, I, I signed up for, you know, that four years and out, and, you know, you know I, I made it 14 years. So uh, at about the six year mark, I, I decided I would, uh, I, I um, uh, volunteered for individual augmentee uh, duty. It's uh, Navy and Air Force filling in some Army positions in Afghanistan. So I went from uh, cooking for the Admiral and his staff, you know, generally around 25 to 35, to running an Army chow hall at DFAC uh, in Farah, Afghanistan, and cooking for five, six, seven hundred ISAF troops. Uh, it was there. Uh, that I met some EOD technicians. I had no idea what what the job was, but these guys had. Uh, were, one day, these guys are Air Force techs, uh, and they had unloaded their entire uh, you know armored truck and had all these. Uh, you know, it was like a cool guys uh, garage sale <laughs> with um, bomb suits and robots and all sorts of uh, cool cool tools. And they were just doing um, maintenance checks on all of them. So I went up and I started talking to these guys and learned all about EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal, uh, the military's bomb squad. And I was hooked. Uh, and they even took me out on uh, a controlled detonation. Like I really needed any more, you know, selling. But mm-hmm. I, they let me, let me pop off a shot and, uh, you know, I created my first mushroom cloud. I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm in. Uh, but it wasn't just, you know, being able to blow things up. It's a tight knit community. It was a technical job. It was first responders. We were lives on the battlefield. That was our primary job was making sure that we could get as much of the hazard off the battlefield and many of our troops back home as we could. And that was, was awesome. So as soon as I got back from deployment, uh, my, um, uh, my my enlistment, my contract was about up. I'd put in a request to go Navy EOD, but at that time, um, cooks in my rank were undermanned, so I wasn't going anywhere. And I w- actually wasn't going to get promoted anytime soon. So I let my contract run out. I went over to the Army recruiter, handed my paperwork, and they let me to let, they let me come right over, kept my rank, uh, became a sergeant. And uh, with my time in service, I was soon a staff sergeant and uh, I deployed to Iraq, deployed back again in 2011 to um, Afghanistan and about eight months into the 12 year or 12 month rotation is when, you know, I, uh, you know, that, that one IED had my name on it. I was just back from a two week R&R back home where I got to see my my son turn one. I got to uh, spend Thanksgiving, which is a very special time uh, in our family. And, uh, you know, many others too. Uh, and, and I got to uh, get to witness my my dad, my, my son's grandfather, you know, dress up like a Mickey Mouse uh, for his birthday, which, you know, knowing my dad is a once in a lifetime thing, but, uh, uh, it was great. It was it's like the, the best, uh, last page in the photo album anybody could have. I throw the, you know, my, my, my team in our armored truck, um, picked me up at the air base and, uh, I threw my luggage on top of the robot in the back of the truck. And then we're, we jumped in the convoy back towards our AO, uh, when along the way, a, uh, uh, the convoy commander calls back and says, hey, there's an item in the side of the road. Uh, we need EOD to check it out. So, you know, I tossed the, you know, we, we set up security cordon and we, you know, we did the, the whole uh, safety area. And, uh, when we were all set, we set, sent out the, the robot to, uh, uh, to do its job. And we found what we always find out there. 99% of the time, it's a, a, you know, a jug with a homemade explosive, a pressure plate, and a 9-volt battery. The robot did its job. It took apart the, uh, uh, the battery and the uh, pressure plate, but it couldn't get that uh, jug out of the hard-packed dirt. And part of our job as uh, EOD is you know, that CSI thing. We need to collect as much evidence as we safely can so we can catch these guys. 
So I jumped out of the truck and I started heading um, uh, towards the IED when um, about 20 to 30 meters from the original IED, a secondary device that hadn't been detected uh, detonated right under me. It uh, sent me into the air. Uh, I went, uh, you know, I got punted. I landed on my knees and elbows. Um, all the lights went completely out. I thought my helmet had been pushed over my face, uh, and that's why I couldn't see. But the first thing was uh, do the systems check, wiggle the fingers, toes, knees, elbows, and it seemed like I was pretty much intact. Uh, so I reached up to grab my helmet and fix, you know, my helmet, just to find that oh no, it's gone. And I, the first thing that went through my mind was, oh, no, this is bad. The Army is going to want that back. So, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's, funny what, it, it's funny what uh, the military really drills into. It is. Um, yeah, so uh, and I did my very first blind guy zombie walk, you know, arms out trying to figure out where I am and try to get back to my, my, my truck. Because the next thing that happens when an EOD team leader, uh, if they go down, is the team is supposed to, you know, the team members are supposed to clear a safe path up to the team members so the medics can get them out. Well, I didn't want anybody else going into a, you know, potentially hazardous, you know, zone. Who knows how many IEDs are out here? So not really thinking very clearly, I just got up and started walking. And of course, I had no idea which way the truck was now. My, my team got me, uh, dragged me back to the safe zone. And uh, within 48 hours, I was at Walter Reed and trying to figure out you know, my new life as a blind person. Uh, the, the blast had uh, completely taken my right eye, cut uh, a gash, uh, a piece of frag went right across the orbital ridges of both um, my uh, my right eye across the bridge of my nose, and then gashed out my left, uh, put a gash in my left eye that was bad enough that they would never be able to repair it. So I was a hundred percent blind. Uh, cracks in my skull, I was leaking spinal fluid right out of my nose, and then blown out both my eardrums, uh, among you know bones and stuff. But um, uh, they patched me up, and within a few weeks, because you know, Walter Reed, they're really set up for you know prosthetics, amputations, that kind of stuff. And since I had all my limbs, they just they basically stabilized me and um, made sure that you know the burns and everything were taken care of. And then I did really nothing for me, so they sent me to uh, uh, the VA hospital in Augusta, Georgia, where. Uh, they've got one of the blind rehabilitation centers and I was just there to learn how to be blind. Uh, I had a few more surgeries to go, but uh, for the most part, uh, this was my new situation. Uh, and it was, it was there that uh, I started learning about, I mean, I really needed to figure out uh, how I was going to do these things. Of course, those, those, those demons tried to creep in like, you know, the why me, the what ifs, but I don't know if it's a combination of the military training where you just assess your situation and you, you know, adapt to overcome uh, my amazing family uh, there to support me. But it, I didn't linger in those awful, you know, feelings and emotions. It was, it was time for me to, to carry on and get moving. And uh, I started as soon as I could, you know, get the talk, you know, learn how to use the, the talking phone and the talking computers and all that. I uh, was Googling, you know, blind, blind plus outdoors, blind plus running, blind plus this and that, and found out that blind, there's a blind man that climbed Mount Everest. He's the only, first and only to ever do it, Eric Weinmayer. Uh, and I sought him out and I climbed a mountain with him. And then I found out there's a, there's a blind, you know, was the first, you know, the blind, you know, first blind person to kayak the entire Grand Canyon in a solo kayak. I found that guy, Lonnie Bedwell, and I went kayaking with him. And I, I just tried to do what I could to be the best, you know, father, best, you know, husband, best soldier I still could be. And I just started finding new uh, and greater challenges. 
uh, and and I found that I was I was doing more to compensate for the difficulties uh, than I I was doing more now than uh, than I had before I'd lost my sight, and I was I was I was running marathons. Uh, I signed up for four marathons in in four months, and I hadn't ever run one in uh, my life, <laughs> and. Uh, three of the four marathons actually qualified me for Boston. So uh, I, uh, I, uh, I ran, ran Boston in 2015. Uh, and I was, I was, I was well on my way to, to mastering this blindness thing. I started speaking and telling my story. And that was the most fulfilling thing is that not only was I uh, finding success accomplishment after uh, struggles and, and and hardship, but I uh, was able to share it and and hopefully inspire others. But um, then in 2015, I had to put my my, my money where my mouth was, uh, and, and in my speeches, I I, I talk to people about. Uh, you know, as a metaphor I use is, is from the EOD community. You know, each in, in the army, uh, EOD, we, we generally roll in uh, three-person teams, a team leader and two team members. And each team is given at like a quadcon, like, you know, like a, a, a part of a shipping container full of tools, bombsuits, robots, all sorts of stuff, power tools and hazmat gear and all that. Um, and then you get to say Iraq and you get that armored truck and, but you can't fit everything into the truck. So you pack up the boxes, you pack up, uh, under the seats and on the shelves and everywhere you can fit tools, anything you might need for the job ahead. But a lot of your tools, you got to leave behind in the shipping container. And then we got to Afghanistan and most of those areas are goat trails. It won't support vehicles of any size. So now we're dismounted, we're on foot. And I gotta figure out what's the most important stuff that I'm willing to carry on my back in my rucksack. So I gotta leave a lot of tools behind and still have to do the same job I'm expected to do whether I had the tools or not. So it ends up, I've got like an MRE water, a couple blocks of C4, my ammunition, uh, and a rope and a carabiner. And of course, EOD guys are nuts about their knives, so I'll carry about three or four of those. But uh, um, and, and I'd say, no, okay, I'm missing a few tools, but I still got to do the job. And that's how I carry on. But in 2015, I lost some more tools. Uh, I contracted bacterial meningitis and I was right back in the hospital. Um, the, and the meningitis, either the meningitis or the heavy doses of antibiotics to keep me, to keep it from killing me, uh, stole what was left of my, my hearing. And, uh, the doctor, you know, uh, you know, doctor said, you know, you're going to lose your hearing. And I said, wait, so what you're, you're telling me is, I'm never going to have to pretend to pay attention ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a bright side to everything. Absolutely. But uh, um, yeah, I was in the hospital again. And, and once I got you know cleared from the hospital, uh, they said there was a, a, a chance I could get my hearing restored with cochlear implants, but it was going to take a very long time. I had to wait for the infection to clear. Then, they would do one implant at a time and there's a surgery. You got to wait for the surgery to, the site to heal. Then you get the uh, implant turned on and it's not automatic. It's not like turning on a hearing aid. You got to tune it in. Your brain has to learn how to hear in a completely different new way. It's digital. It's like listening to your whole world through the McDonald's drive through speaker. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, for over six months, I was in complete darkness, complete silence. My whole world uh, ended at my fingertips. And it was a very lonely, very, very, um, uh, very isolating time. Very, very awful. And, and, and that uh, 
uh, those demons, those, those what ifs, why me's, why uh, has this happened? Uh, when have I paid my dues? You know, how many times can lightning strike? When has this soldier paid his fair share? Uh, but again, that training, uh, I, I, frankly, I, I'd been, you know, for four years almost, I'd been telling people about the tools in my kit and, and, and how to carry on. And now I was thinking, wait a second, I, I've been preaching this. I better start living it. So I didn't let it get me down. I got back on my treadmill, but I'd also lost my inner ear sense of balance. So I just turned it on and I was going half a mile an hour while I held on with an iron grip because uh, the balance was like trying to throw me off uh, like a, you know, rodeo bull. Um, and I just walked. I was using the trekking poles that I used in the, you know, climbing mountains just to get me to my mailbox and back. Um, and eventually I worked myself back into health. I started jogging again uh, with a, the use of a, a guide and Thanksgiving was coming around the bend uh, again uh, because I didn't want to feel sorry for myself. I plunged myself into cooking again. And that was, it was a form of therapy for me. I was going to make this huge feast. We invited friends and family from all over, neighbors. We even uh, invited a few, adopted a few of those stranded uh, EOD students that might not have enough leave days or wanted to conserve them um, for the, you know, the, the, the other holidays. So uh, we invited a few students uh, over from the EOD school to have, you know, share Thanksgiving with us. And um, it was, it was going to be a huge feast. And for weeks in advance, I was making pre, you know, cooking all of these desserts for cakes and pies and, you know, you, know, you name it. And I was making fudge after, you know, batch of fudge after a batch, uh, different flavors of tossing nuts and seeds, you know, and, and spices. And I was taking booze out of the cabinet. I'm like, no, oh, this is going to be <laughs> awesome. And um, my wife noticed uh, that um, there were, there was more fudge than any family of any size could eat in one Thanksgiving. So she started sneaking it out the, uh, the front door. And I say sneaking, like you've got to be real stealthy around a blind deaf guy. <laughs> but um, she was giving away to friends and neighbors and people were coming back and saying, hey, uh, can, can we buy more of this from you? And I said, you know, being the capitalist uh, I am, I said, well, of course you may. And that's where eodfudge.com was born. We started selling our, you know, different flavors of fudge. And this time, instead of explosive ordnance disposal, EOD stands for Extraordinary Delights. And that's, that's, uh, that's how our, our online retail business got started. And now we've got different types of um, uh, chocolate-covered sea salt caramels and gophers, which are akin to uh, uh, turtles, um, and you know, caramel pecan uh, popcorn, colossal candy-covered apples, and, and so I have, I have a lot of fun uh, designing and, and creating all of this kind of stuff. But that uh, also requires me to run a lot more, but. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, you know, that's that's kind of the history up to to now. Um, uh, but the business has also afforded uh, us a few other things, like you know, getting um, into uh, investing uh, both in the stock market and real estate, which is to me is another uh, great challenge because uh, uh, I, I, I you know I got. Um, I've discovered bigger pockets a, a couple, couple of years ago. I started learning and I, it was first, what kind of real estate uh, was I, you know, investing, was I interested in? What could I do uh, from basically with my phone and my computer and how, how could I invest in real estate? And what we decided on was my, uh, I'm from Akron, Ohio. I've got, uh, you know, my mom, my brother still lives there. And I know that area the best. And we decided to do uh, like Burr style uh, investing there where we find some value add potential uh, properties, fix them up 
uh, get them rented out and refinance them and do the next one. And uh, uh, my, my mom and my brother have done a couple flips in the past and she's, she's dating a, a contractor who's just, he's a magician. Uh, so um, it's worked out great. I, uh, I checked the listings. I've got some wholesale uh, um, emailers and some other, you know, other types of leads. And what I do is uh, go through the, the numbers. Uh, if, you know, I just, every, every, you know, deal that comes my way, I see if the numbers fit, if the numbers fit, I'll send them to my mom and uh, my wife and they'll, you know, look at the photographs. They'll, you know, they'll double check the area. Um, and, and it's just, we've developed a great system. And that's incredible. All of that. Man, so much to, I love, I, so I just want to key in on the fact that first off, I love your sense of humor in all this, but the fact that you said your Kevlar and your team members were the first thing you thought of. Um, I, I just think that's incredible to think of like what the military instills in us in terms of value. Here you are uh, essentially like lights out, don't know what's going on. And your first thought is, oh no, where's my Kevlar? Well, I, I truly believe that the best, leaders are the ones that serve their team uh, and that's that's what leaders are for to make sure the team is working uh, uh and is safe and is prepared uh, so i knew there were you know i just discovered there were more than one explosives on the battlefield and i didn't want anybody else coming that's that's my job as an eod tech make sure nobody get nobody else gets hurt that's why they send the most experienced the highest ranking guy in the team down uh, all by himself before, you know, to take care of the hazards so that, you know, all those known hazards can be mitigated before anybody else can enter the area. Yeah, absolutely. And for, for those of you listening who, uh, I mean, we have a very large military audience, so most of you are familiar with EOD, uh, but if you're not, he's absolutely correct. And the EOD community is quite literally lifesavers. Uh, I have on multiple occasions, been on convoys where if it wasn't for EOD, uh, who knows what would have happened. I was, I was the lead vehicle for almost my entire deployment. And so, you know, I always joked that my job was finding the bombs with the mind roller and not, not with anyone else, but EOD, I mean, we so many times, so many times they came out and detonated something or cleared a path for us. And I mean, it's just incredible how knit, how tight knit that community is. In fact, after our deployment, two of the guys from one of the guy, the guy who was in my vehicle and a guy who was in one of the other vehicles in my convoy, both transferred into EOD because of that. And uh, I think it's just a really cool occupational field. Uh, I absolutely love it. Um, for about a year and a half after I got out of the, uh, the VA uh, and had graduated blind school, uh, I, uh, they asked me where I wanted to do my bed board. And, and I told them, I, I didn't even want to get out. Um, I'd heard of other blind service members that stayed on active duty. And at the time I said, you know what, I can do that. I can't be, you know, I can't be, I'm not, won't be deployable anymore, but I could go to the schoolhouse. So I told him, send me to Eglin. And uh, I, uh, Eglin is where the, uh, the joint, uh, it's a, it's a Navy run school at Eglin Air Force Base. And um, now the Florida Panhandle, but all the, branches send their EOD tech students to the same schoolhouse. And I, uh, I instructed for about a year and a half. Uh, and that's how I ended up down here in uh, the panhandle. Wow. That's cool. That's really cool. I, uh, I love another thing that you said in there that I really, really liked was the power of networking in that here you are, uh, you know, Googling, things for uh, blind people to do plus outdoors and you, you find someone who climbed Everest and a lot of people would have thought, wow, that's cool. But you reached out to him and networked with him and went hiking with him. And the same with, and I didn't catch the name, but the guy who kayaked the Grand Canyon and you networked with him and went kayaking. And I think that's really, really powerful uh, just for, uh, people to understand that sometimes just taking action and getting around people who are doing what you want to do is a huge driving force in your life. I believe uh, 
you know, there's there a lot of people, you including me, often, you know, for, for a lot of my life, I found that people have this mental block. And you, like you said, uh, people hear about others doing these, these great things and think, well, oh, that's great. And you move on. Whereas uh, in the military, we're taught, you know, you need to, you need to be the best you can. And you, if you don't know how to do this, you need to seek out uh, mentors. And we're constantly, I know it's definitely this way in the army. Uh, and I'm, I'm certain it's the same in the Marines where, uh, you know, your leaders are constantly teaching the subordinates how to do their job. And the subordinates are constantly looking to pick up new responsibilities. They're constantly trying to find the next way, not just to increase in rank, but responsibility. And it's the same, uh, it's pretty much the same scenario, whereas I needed to learn how to get better at what, you know, in my situation. I need to learn how to be better at being um, now not just a father or not just, you know, taking care of myself or being fit, but I need to figure out how I was going to do it as a blind person. So I need to find mentors. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's, the power of a mentor is incredible. Absolutely. And that's, that's so cool. And then I just want to say congratulations on qualifying for the Boston. I can't even finish one marathon, let alone qualify for the Boston. You know, uh, it was funny. I, um, my first, uh, marathon, uh, I signed up for was the air force marathon in Dayton. And, uh, I'd signed up for three more marathons. Uh, and I'd, I'd actually, uh, I first set out, speaking of mentors and fellow blind veterans, uh, there was a, a blind uh, ranger by the name of Ivan Castro had uh, completed, I think, in nearly half of his 20 or more years in the service as a blind uh, service member. And uh, in fact, even gotten um, going, uh, enlisted to commission. Uh, but he is a he was a big time runner uh, at Fort Bragg and I talked to him he said every year without fail I like to do the Air Force Marathon the Army 10 Miler and the Marine Corps Marathon those are my, my big three I do a, a bunch of others I thought you know what I'm gonna do that too and, and I signed up for those three races and then somehow I got signed up for you know I just got convinced to, to do a local one Pensacola and then uh, rock and roll marathon in uh, San Antonio. So not only was I doing four marathons, but I was also doing the Army 10 miler. Uh, and uh, my, the, the Air Force marathon, my first, my first run, my first race, I uh, was, I was not properly hydrated. I was way off my pace plan, and about 300 meters from the finish line, I completely bonked. I, I mean, I dropped. I woke up in the hospital not knowing where I was, what was going on. I'd forgotten I was blind. So I'm like, what, why can't, what's this? You know? And then I went, oh, oh yeah, crap. <laughs> but, and then the, the, the next thing was, oh man, I never want to do that again. But <laughs> I, I had four more races. And I thought, oh, I better get ready for this. And I recovered. And yeah, the next three marathons qualified me for Boston. I ran Boston in 2015. Um, but my proudest moment was after the, I was, you know, stricken with meningitis and lost my sense of balance. And now, you know, deaf, uh, blind, no sense of balance. If anybody's counting, I'm pretty senseless. My uh, sense of humor is sharper than ever. But uh, <laughs> holding on by a thread. Um, but uh, uh, I'd gotten from just walking on the treadmill to like jogging to getting back into, you know, marathon, you know, condition. And I ran my hometown Akron marathon on uh, my, on, you know, the same week as my 20th high school reunion. And I PR'd. I got the fastest time ever. It was the hardest race I'd ever run because not only was I trying to go forward, but I was trying not to go topple over this way. And then I was using more muscles than I ever had. Um, but uh, I, had, I had a lot of help. Uh, uh, I contacted the local chapter of Team Red, White, and Blue and asked if I could find, you know, somebody could help guide me. 
I got a whole team, like 10 people came out, uh, all the eagles, you know, running side by side. And they actually bracketed me in. So as I, the miles ticked up and I was getting more and more fatigued, more tired, more, I was just bouncing off of people's shoulders, but they kept me up while I, I ran forward. Um, and I qualified for Boston again. I've always really liked those RWB guys. When I was running out in Hawaii, they were all over the place and they're a great, great group of people. Yeah. Oh yeah. Man, that's incredible to think that I can't even imagine how hard it would be to run with balance, like thrown off. That's just insane. You know, it's, it's the same, uh, I think uh, in, in one sense as anybody else is that, endurance running is uh is a head game yes you know, you know 5ks are physical you know 10ks are physical and you know that's speed uh endurance uh yeah you got a condition you got to get ready but um you got to be physically ready but it is all in the head uh, and no matter if you're you know you know physically fit and you have no ailments or you're blind deaf and have no balance uh it's still how much determination you have to carry through the pain and um, you know, once you hit the, the wall to push through. Yeah. That, and then you spoke to the importance of nutrition and that's like everything in life. It takes the proper, proper preparation. It's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's crazy what nutrition or lack thereof, how, how much it changes a race. Yeah, but that's, that's all like the mechanics. Once you get the nutrition ready, you know, right. And the, um, uh, the you know the, the the physical aspect of it, um, marathons and and ultra marathons, uh, they're definitely it's it's all up here after a while, and you just it, you just trudge forward. Yeah, absolutely. I like the uh, the quote of missing a few tools, but still need to do the job. I think that's a really powerful mentality for everyone in life, because I mean you're we always joke in the Marine Corps, right, that we get. Uh, the army's hand-me-downs and always do, <laughs> do more with less because we don't get decent gear until it's been used right. by everyone else. Um, but I think that mentality serves you very well in life, understanding that there's always going to be something additional you you could want or could have. But if you don't, like you got to make it happen anyway. Well, you know, you, you know, it's definitely the military mentality where you, you expect uh, the best, but you prepare for the worst. Uh, and I, it's awful uh, nowadays where, you know, you get on social media and you see people uh, complaining or worrying about these things that they don't have or that they're missing or they lost. And uh, it's really a handicap. You know, the, perhaps it's a bit of the, uh, you know, entitlement uh, uh, era where we just believe we deserve more than we're getting. And it's, it, 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 it hinders you. It holds you back from really achieving some great potential. So instead of worrying what, about what I didn't have or what I'd lost, I just assessed what I still had and I, how I could still push forward. Definitely. So let's uh, talk about real estate for a minute. What, uh, so how many, how many uh, investment properties do you guys have now? Well, right now we've got one. Um, we, we bought it back in January and uh, it, oh my gosh, uh, it was one of those trial by fire type of properties. We bought it at auction and, you know, number one uh, lesson learned, uh, buyer beware. Yep. Uh, so we we bought it at auction. It was uh, an original ARV was one hundred sixty five thousand uh, dollars, and I purchased it for uh, sixty four eight. And wow. if you know, we we were we through all the scenarios where uh, you know you do it would fit the one percent rule. Of course, if we could get it, um, it would rent rent for um, you know about 1250 uh and once it was renovated um so we'd have about uh what was that fifty thousand dollars of uh, project budget uh, to renovate this thing and from the outside it definitely needed um a, a 
uh, roof, new windows, but it looked great. Uh, it just once we we'd, we'd finished, um, you know, going through, you know, closing, we got the contractor in there, and every single day it was something new. Um, he said, "Oh my gosh, we started on the windows, uh, replacing the windows. We found that the frames were starting to rot. Uh, apparently, this 1930s house." was built with untreated lumber. So every time they pulled down some drywall, it was just rotten. Uh, so they had to replace a lot of lumber. Uh, and then <laughs> little, you know, little things became big things. It was a, a you know, a cistern under the, um, you know, under the ground that needed to be filled. The electric, uh, electrical uh, wiring looked like it was, um, and it just, the, the, the project crept to double what we'd expected. So we bought it for, you know, 64, eight. We spent oh, a little over $100,000 on this thing and uh, ended up, uh, thankfully though, the, you know, we weren't um, entirely, uh, we, we definitely got lucky on this one and I would not want to bet on luck ever again. We, we, you know, our, the contractor, I said, was a magician. He was able to increase the uh, livable square footage uh, in the same uh, footprint. We'd, uh, we'd, of course, upgraded everything to, you know, Class A standards. Um, and uh, we had uh, renters in there almost before the project was complete. So uh, when the, uh, uh, the appraisal came back, it was... It was a uh, $200,000 and we were actually able to increase the, the rent because with, with deeper um, uh, investigation, most of the three bedrooms in that area that were renting for 12 were apartments. And we'd, we'd you know, we sort out the, the more of the comps. They were comps in that area were, were renting for 15 to $1,600. So we did, we, we made out, um, we, we're going to have to, you know, when, when we uh, do our refi, we're going to have to leave uh, a little bit uh, of our equity into it uh, so we don't push, you know, we don't strain, you know, put too much pressure on the rent. But uh, it was definitely, um, a, a, you know, tuition well paid. And we, we still feel like we came out ahead. I would say so. And <clears throat> people always say the first deal is not necessarily meant to be the best deal. It's meant to be a learning curve. So anytime you can even break even and learn all those lessons, I mean, that's a free education. Oh yeah. So now we're, we're looking at a pair of duplexes that are side by side, two separate properties sold by the same uh, seller. So we may, we may pick them up in a package deal uh, or just side by side closings. And, and get them fixed up together. Awesome. That's really cool. So, man, that's just incredible to be able to operate all of that from, like you said, from a computer with the help of uh, team members. That's really cool. Well, uh, again, you just you try to find solutions. And, and every time I run into uh, some kind of difficulty from – you know, number one was where do you find the deals? And of course, you know, you've got all the listing sites and whatnot. And it's tough to find a good deal on the MLS. But uh, we would have, uh, I've got, you know, multiple feeds from multiple uh, uh, realtors. And I would, I would find something where the numbers made sense. Then I'd send them to the team, you know, mostly my mom who was there, you know, boots on the ground. And she would say, not a good neighborhood or... Uh, the pictures look like it's going to be more work than uh, than uh, it you know can support, and then we just move move on. And then when we we find something that that fits the numbers, looks good, and is in the neighborhood we we want to uh, invest in, then we 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 talk to the realtor. We we set up a, a walkthrough. We'll bring we often we bring our con right to you know an open house or. Um, you know, you know, they'll walk through and he'll give us, you know, on the site, uh, basically, you know, a rough estimate of what, what the project's going to be, but it's much more, uh, 
than you know what a realtor or or even my mom or I could could guess. So we're getting pretty specific. Yeah, having a good contractor is huge. I'm flipping a house right now, and I don't know that the contractor is bad, but we've had some bad luck in the contracting space, and it's taken a lot longer than it's supposed to. So the power of a a good contractor is huge because if he wasn't I don't know. It's it's scary to think of what happens if the contractor is just kind of dragging you along. Oh yeah. Well, thankfully, uh, you know, we've got a great one, um, and uh, he's definitely uh, definitely busy. It's definitely, you know, it's worth what um, you know the the what he charges. But he also uh, also finds us great deals. He knows that this is our investment pieces and that he tries to save us money everywhere he could find and, and it's fantastic plus you know my mom does uh all the books for his company so she's she's uh, uh in the numbers as well that's a that's a huge benefit to him my uncle's a contractor and he's always said the books is like the worst part of the entire business he's got mountains of receipts and he's he's terrible about it well, you know, generally, you know, the guys that are really good contractors, they're great at doing the job, but they're, it's not necessarily true that every contractor is a good business owner. So it's, it's, it's good that, you know, uh, you have this symbiotic relationship where, uh, you know, my, my mom does the books for the contract, the contractor saves me money, I bring them deals and uh, everybody works out. Uh, everybody wins. Definitely. So, and then you are still operating this other business on the side, which, uh, as I told you before we recorded, and I'm going to say it for everyone listening right now, uh, the website for Extra- Extraordinary Delights is a really well-designed website. It's a very appealing uh, site. I was cruising around on it before we recorded. Um, but to be able to build that business as well, uh, I think that speaks to your inner inner entrepreneur to be able to focus on doing all these things at once uh, you know I, it was a lot of fun for me and and my wife to get this thing started and my my, my wife and I are you know we, we like staying fit we like staying active but we also enjoy indulging every once in a while I think we you know we earn it and I think others do too and we try to make the best quality you know traits you know when you're going to use the cheat day for something um, we want to be the go-to. And, and if you want to like a, a, you know, the perfect corporate gift to tell your clients you actually care about their business um, or, you know, family members, or if you don't want to share at all, uh, we're the answer for all of those. And, um, if, you know, personally, it was just another one of those challenges, another one of those accomplishments that I wanted to, to see if, if, if we could do. We wanted to want to build a business. We want to make it a success. And it quickly grew out of our home kitchen. I really fast, we started getting uh, corporate gifts from like uh, corporate orders from like Boeing and Johnson and Johnson and uh, lots of nonprofits that I'd advocated before. You know, I'd be hired as a speaker, but then they would say, you know what, we want to put your, your fudge or your treats uh, uh, around the tables. So uh, we'll get the, the one-two punch um, uh, with the business. And it just it took off so quickly that we had to uh, quickly find a commercial kitchen, both to stay, say, legal uh, and uh, just because we, we, we just couldn't handle it out of our uh, home. So now we've got a, a, a huge uh, commercial uh, kitchen in Savannah, Georgia. And, and now um, things are really going well for the business and us. It sounds like a good problem to have growing too fast. Well, you, you got to be careful. You don't, uh, it's like the, the, the cardinal rule in retail or any businesses. Don't, don't provide or don't create the demand if you can't provide the supply. Uh, and it would it soon, we were, we were working like 14 hour days. I was cooking. I was on my feet all day long. Um, and we were, we were, we were, you know, keeping up with demand, but it was, it was so growing that we decided that, you know, we didn't want to work, uh, in our business. We want to work on it. 
so, you know, we contracted out the labor part of it. We made sure that, um, you know, we're, you know, the, the same quality product was going out and, and now we're, you know, running the business instead of it running us. Yeah. That's a, a lesson that a lot of people learn too difficult or too, too hard. I, uh, I struggle with that with building this platform and I, not to say that I'm bringing in any money really off this, but uh, trying to keep up with everything that I want to do as far as content. And I've realized very quickly that I either need to outsource everything or not do as much. And I've, uh, I've had to, I, I now have a podcast editor and a video editor and a uh, editor for my writing, which I probably should have done that originally. Cause it, you know, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but Marines and writing are, it's kind of a, not something that goes hand in hand. <laughs> well, I, 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 you know, you're absolutely right. I tried to put out content also, you know, from, you know, uh, talking about being a you know, blind father to a blind cook to just being, to being a business owner and to everyday life. But, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I try to try to put uh, content out as well. You know, I've got a, a fledgling blog on our website that doesn't have much content yet, but uh, you know, trying to write from you know recipes to just everyday uh, occurrences. You know, from being a better father to um, being um, you know blind uh, outdoor enthusiast to you you name it. Uh, the only thing is that all those things I'd like to write about. I'm doing, uh, and the, the writing tends to take a uh, back seat sometimes. Yeah, I completely understand. I have to, I have to like force myself to set time aside, or else I'll get to the end of the week and realize I didn't accomplish anything for the content side. Just incredible the amount of stuff that you've been able to accomplish. I mean, not even despite disability, people struggle to operate a business on their own, let alone operate a business and then learn how to invest in real estate and balance public speaking. I mean, that's an incredible amount of stuff to do, no matter whether there were disabilities or not. What do you think is the secret for you being able to balance all of this? Fear. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think one of the biggest drivers, um, First, you know, first, first and foremost, I would say is I'm terrified of slowing down. I didn't, I don't want to be uh, one of those, uh, you know, wounded service members or you know, any service member that, you know, is feeling down, uh, gets stuck in that, that spiral of the depression, sitting on the couch, popping pills, and, and just gets, you know, it goes deeper and deeper into the darkness. Uh, maybe maybe even becoming one of the, the 22 or even more a day we lose. Uh, so, you know, I, I, when, I, when I stop working out and I stop running, I start to feel the wheels falling off. So um, keeping myself busy, keeping myself uh, engaged is first uh, an act of, you know, the fright, but... I also feel better each time I, I accomplish something or each time I, I, I just do better than I did the, the day before. And, and the more uh, success I feel, the more I can, I can share, or the better I am at being, being me, being a father, being a husband. So, uh, you know, success is, has momentum. So while part of it is just being terrified of the, you know, the alternative, uh, the, you know, staying busy is, is where, that's where my comfort uh, is. It's just, you know, being comfortable with a, a discomfort or being uncomfortable. You know, the more, if I find myself uh, starting to uh, become complacent or comfortable, I know I need to get get busy on something else, uh, and that's 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 kind of where um, how all this this stuff happens. Yeah, I agree completely with you on the terrified of slowing down. I think I, there's all these studies on the 22 a day, but I think the biggest thing that people struggle with is going from the military to not having a purpose. 
And I think being able to cultivate a purpose for yourself by keeping yourself busy and challenging yourself, whether that's a business or just personal goals in general is huge and very important to keeping your life on track. Because like you said, if you slow down and stop and you kind of lose your identity of, or your, your sense of purpose, man, that, that takes a toll. And then the, the other, uh, the, the last facet of this is that I got, and, and my family got a lot of help from, from the home I live in, you know, which was given to me by Building Homes for Heroes, a mortgage-free house that I get to live in, um, to uh, all the, the adventures I've gone on. So many of them are veteran service organizations or, uh, that, that have you know, taken me under their wing to help me get my start. And like I said, mentors, both military and civilian, have helped me to get not just uh, financially, but mentally in this place I am now. And I know that not all veterans uh, get the same opportunities. And I want to be able to be in a position where I can help as many fellow veterans that may be having a tough time uh, after service or even during their service. Uh, And I want to help as many as I can. Yeah, that's a very powerful motivator. Man, I could, I could talk all day, I think, with you about mindset and everything. This is, I mean, you just have such an incredible story uh, and really just your outlook, which is just so powerful to anyone listening to this. I would, I would challenge you to make sure that you always challenging yourself to improve. Um, uh, we, we added our very first piece of uh, uh, merchandise to the website. So the first inedible product is a t-shirt that says challenge accepted. Nice. I like it. I'll have to have to go get me a t-shirt and some fudge. All right. I would like to ask you a couple questions before I'm going to have to wrap this up because uh, unfortunately I got to go to work soon. Uh, they, they're going <laughs> to wonder where I'm at if I don't show up. I guess I would ask if a, if a young, you know, E1, E2, a young service member was to uh, ask you for advice going forward in life, really in any facet, what do you think would be like your, your one nugget that you wish you'd heard at a younger age? Don't, don't let pride, don't let your ego get in the way. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for help, seek out help. And, and there's, there's a, there's a lot of power in, uh, you know, a problem shared and a shared, uh, goal and shared accomplishment. I agree completely. And, uh, definitely the ego thing. Let's see. Do you have a favorite resource, book, course, or website that you would recommend to anybody getting started in real estate or business? Well, you know, besides uh, from military to millionaire. <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. Uh, absolutely. Well, first, you know, got to go with the the, the old standby. Um, uh, you know, uh, rich dad, poor dad, because that's a mindset thing. That got me years ago down that you know the, the path of uh, stepping outside what I thought was possible for me, um, and then of course bigger pockets is such a wealth of knowledge and information. Uh, so I, I that's that was my bachelor's uh, course in real estate was just <laughs> the uh, the forums and the blogs and uh, webinars and all of that on bigger pockets. You and I both. Bigger pockets changed my life. Actually, both of those. That was someone handed me Rich Dad Poor Dad, and you know I told him Marines don't read, so he told me to download it on Audible, and uh, man, that that essentially changed the entire course of my life. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, before we wrap this up, is there anything you'd like to add? Any uh, parting advice or big ideas? Well, uh, one other you know piece of advice is you know don't wait for opportunity to knock kick the door off the hinges. Yes. Like, go, go crush it. Go. I mean, whatever you're you know, waiting to do, don't do, do everything on your bucket list today. I mean, go out and get it. Um, and uh, of course, uh, while you're going, while you're out there crushing it, you know, holidays, the holidays are coming and everybody loves fudge. So uh, please uh, visit, eodfudge.com and 
everybody has to, uh, you know, please uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, EOD Confections. I'll make sure that I link to all of that in the show notes. And I'm going to go order myself some chocolate today. Awesome. Well, hey, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been incredible. Well, uh, Dave, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure both listening to your podcast since I discovered it months ago, and um, you know, you know, intermittent chatting on on the Facebook groups. So it's great to, to finally get to talk to you. Absolutely, brother. Have a great day. Same to you. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.